Joined by Jack Hammett. How are you doing, mate? All good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks a lot for coming on. Appreciate it. No, no problem. Anytime. So just want to start off by asking you what your early football memories are. I think I've got so many, but I think probably the earliest is like going and watching my brother when he was so at Sunderland. I was a I was a young, young kid. Um, probably about 10-year-old. Obviously, I was playing youth team football at um at Sunderland at the time. And yeah, I remember I was just going and watching my brother, like full stadiums, didn't have a clue what it was, anything like that. Um and then, yeah, he used to come home from training and say, getting that goal, I'm going to smash the ball past you. And I was just this little kid and scared of the ball and everything. Um, but, yeah, that was that was kind of what started the goalkeeping trend. Obviously, growing up, you want to be like your older brother uh, until you get to a certain age and then you, you hate your older brother. But, no, that was it when I was younger. It was, um, it was just sort of him and his mates he used to put me in goal and they used to play heads and volleys and stuff like that. And kind of that just pushed me into goalkeeping and sort of age of 10 I just absolutely loved it and how did you firstly end up getting picked up by Sunderland so I was playing for a pretty youth club at the time it's just a local team up in Newcastle um, and they used to always have one scout that used to kind of go around the Northumberland area and um, I, he had kind of said listen I've never seen someone so keen to play in goal and sort of at that sort of age of I think it was around eight, nine year old. He said, like, he's big, he, he loves playing in goal, like, he makes a save with his face and he's not bothered. And I think that was quite rare because, as young kids, you know what they're like. It's kind of like they get hit by the ball and it's kind of, oh, I want to come off and that. Um, and I think just kind of the way I grew up and obviously having an older brother and an older sister and a dad who'd done kickboxing and stuff like that, was, I was quite rough and ready. Um, so yeah, Sunderland Scout came and um, wanted to take me as, as early as possible. And I think I joined Sunderland Academy. I must have been nine, ten year old at the time. Um, and yeah, just kicked on from there. I remember I got to about 12 year old. I think it was 12 year old. And do you know how they do sort of football in the community? I remember Newcastle oh. came to, to my school, do football in the community. And I played outfield because I was playing in goal all the time. And they tried to sign me as a left winger. Um, and yeah, it just it just all worked out. I used to play in goal for youth team, and I used to play outfield for my school at times and stuff like that. And just used to love playing football, but ultimately I knew that I was a good goalkeeper. So, so yeah, that's where it all started. What is it with keepers always wanting to play at field? I don't know. I think it's because. You always want to score goals. Like you see everything every week. It's like goal scorer, this goal scorer, that. I mean, even looking the papers as a goalkeeper, I kept a clean sheet and made two, three really good saves and you get to seven and you think, so hold on. But if a striker scores a hat break, it's all oh, 10, he's the best thing. Get him in all the <laughs> weeks, get him in this, get him in that. Scotland call-ups, England call-ups. Whereas goalkeepers, it's like a, it's a longevity thing where you've got to do well over a long period of time. So... I think from young, you've just got that fight. Even in training, like you do goalie sessions where it's like, right, want to try and score and you're literally trying to bend them in the top corner and stuff like that. It's just, I think it's one of them things. You've not had the, the exposure as a kid of just celebrating goals and just being a young kid again. What made you end up going for Sunderland to Newcastle? So at the time, it was, it was a difficult one because my brother had obviously came through the academy there and had played for Sunderland and then made his move to Tottenham when he was 18. 
Um, and it was kind of, it was brilliant for my brother, but then we were say, we had a discussion with my parents, well, like, would, would I get judged on what my brother's done? Because, I mean, he was a nightmare as a 17, 18, 90-year-old. He was well, having to tie him down at Sunday to try and... He, he was a naughty kid at school. That's that's the best way I can put it. <laughs> um, and what you're saying, we didn't know if I was going to get judged off that. Um, and then Newcastle had kind of spoke to me and said, listen, um, we would be putting you on a pro contract as soon as you turned... I was 16 in the June, so they said, you do a year scholarship, which you have to do, and then 17, you're going to have a three-year pro contract. Um, and it just worked out. Newcastle was a lot closer at my, my house. I mean, when I was at Sunderland, I was finishing school. My mum was picking us up from school, driving us to my dad's used car garage that he had, which was 25 minutes away. He'd finish work at 5 o'clock, and then he would drive me to Sunderland, and my dad would... Be working all day, drive me to Sunderland, and then we would be getting back in at the house at nine o'clock at night. Um, and then my dad would do the same the next day and just continue. So, and as parents, I mean, if it wasn't for them taking the time out, my mum didn't have a job because basically me and my brother needed driving about football. And my dad used to work, for obviously, his car garage would close at five, six, seven o'clock. And then he'd be taking us to train and get home. 10 o'clock straight to bed and do the same again. So I think it was just a lot to do with easiness because at the time as well, there was teams, Chelsea, Everton, the biggest teams you could name it wanted me, but I think it was just a, a sensible decision all around for family and just kind of, so I wasn't seen in the same light as my brother. When you were coming through at Newcastle, was there anybody like coming through in your team at the same time as you? Um, there may be no. Um, to be honest, my age group was a really good age group, but then all of a sudden kind of fizzled out. There was a boy, Aaron Spear, we signed. I think we paid 250 grand from Plymouth. Um, he was amazing, but again, we signed him from Plymouth and he couldn't settle. He missed home too much. He, he was going to be a big, big player and ended up just falling out of the game. But it was sort of the age group above that I played for a lot, which was like uh, Tavernier's... Uh, Dummett, um, Brad Inman, who obviously went on, Samyam Yobi, um, oh, I'm trying to think here, uh, Shane Ferguson's, Niall Rangers. Um, so a lot, to be honest, there's a lot other ones, sort of like Conor Newton, who went, came up to St. Mirren, obviously, and right. he went down and had a decent enough career, played Cambridge and stuff like that. So the, the year above was actually a really, really good age group, uh, which I played in quite a lot. When did you first like start getting involved in the first team? So I think it'll have been around... So I was playing a year above myself. Uh, I was 17. I was playing in the... I think it was the 19s at the time uh, is what it used to be. And I, I remember I was always involved with any time they needed a goalkeeper, I would step up. Um, and I think my first time was around the Chris Eaton uh, uh, era where we had sort of Kevin Nolans, Alan Smith, Steve Harper's... Um, and sort of like your Colacinis had just came in the building and stuff like that. And I remember, yeah, training with them and it was, you're looking at these lads, like Alan Smith came from Man United and it was just sort of like starstruck sort of thing, but it was brilliant. They tried to, although the academy and the first team building are separate, they tried to kind of get up as much as we can. And then it wasn't long, sort of 18 year old. I was a regular training with the first team goalkeepers week in, week out. Uh, so we had... At the time, it will have been 
Tim Cruel, Shea Given I was with just for a little bit. I had sort of three sessions with him um, before he went to Man City. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it was Steve Harper, Fraser Foster. Um, so it was a, a brilliant wow, group. Dude. I know, and you look at all three, if you take just Tim Cruel, Steve Harper, Foster, and even Shaken, four of them couldn't be any different goalkeepers. Um, so it was a good mix for me growing up, um, trying to like take little parts from all of them. It was, I think that's what set us up to be the goalkeeper I am. How, like, how much of a positive impact do you think that I had on you as a keeper? Massively, because sometimes you try and mould yourself into a, a goalkeeper. So, I mean... There'll probably be young goalkeepers at similar and trying to mould themselves into me, but they'll never be the same goalkeeper as me. And I, I, you only find that with experience. I've just took little parts from different things. I mean, Tim Cruel was a really average goalkeeper in training. Um, and then all of a sudden you get to a Saturday and wow, he just turned it on. It was just like, get through the week. He had the injuries that he was playing through and it was kind of like, done what he needed to do and was very professional. Um, and then we'd get to a Saturday, amazing. And then I, I'm at the stage now where you, you're starting to, your body's starting to grumble with different injuries, and you just kind of you tick through certain sessions, and then get to a game day, and you switch on. Then we had the experience of Steve Harper, who just was out there, and you, you, you kind of obviously was slower and stuff, but kept on making saves, and you're like. How's he still making them saves at 36, 37 year old? Um, and then obviously you had Fraser, who was just like a big brick wall at the time. He was just so big, made unorthodox saves. Everything was big bash, form, face, didn't matter. So it was brilliant. And then I had um, Freddie Woodman, who got brought into the club, who was younger than me. So also I was looking up and now I'm looking, thinking, oh, Freddie's coming here as well. So it was a great mix and it was a competitiveness and I've seen the years of where we were getting relegated and then the years of where we finished fifth. So all in all, it was it was amazing to have all the different types of goalkeepers there. Talk me through your debut against Chelsea. Coming on, Rob Elliott got injured, eh? That's right. That's, a, that's another goalkeeper. I'll have to apologise. I didn't mention Robbie. The best training goalkeeper I've ever seen. He was... He came in, we had signed this lad from Charlton. He'll say himself at the time was quite overweight and he kind of, and wow, training, flying about everything like that. So he he got in the team, was doing really well. Uh, Tim had, I think Tim dislocated his shoulder or his elbow or something like that. We, sorry, it was his elbow while he was away with Netherlands. Um, came back and all of a sudden he's getting operations. So I ended up on the bench and... Robbie was playing, doing really well, but he always had this problem with his quad. And uh, every game he was like, my quad's really bad, really bad. And I scanned it, nothing showed up on the scan, nothing. I'm like, yeah, like, whatever. Um, and I remember it was way at Burnley the week before, I think it was, and he was struggling big time. I'm like, it was pouring down. It was about minus three. Burnley had Chris Wood, Barnes, and I'm like, please don't come off. <laughs> The young kid sat on the bench like this, like, I don't want to come on here. Yeah, like, although I was excited and that, it was... And then, yeah, the week after, it was Chelsea at home and obviously I'm stood in the tunnel walking down to sit on the bench and you're looking like drugged by deal go across. I'm like, wow. Um, and then, yeah, literally goal kick before half time. Robbie takes goal kick, bang, straight down, quad completely gone. Um, and then, yeah, it was 
came in and the goalie coach Andy Woodman was like, "You're coming on." He's like, "Do you want to go out and do a warm up?" I was like, "Yeah, if you want, like whatever you think." And went and done ten volleys on the pitch. And to be fair, he kind of put his arm around. Was listen. He said, "You don't even need to do like a proper warm up." He said, "Adrenaline will get you through." And I just remember coming on. It was no fear. It was no lose. I was. I remember I'd had conversations with Pardew. I was third choice, but I hadn't been out on loan. I hadn't played games. I wanted to leave the club, not because I wanted to leave the football club. I just wanted to, to go and play football. And what I'd talked about the week before, Bournemouth wanted to take me in to train. Um, and he was like, listen, I'll wait till Tim gets back off international duty and we'll, we'll let you go and train and stuff. And then, bang, I was in. And I remember I had a brilliant 45 minutes. We'll beat took Mourinho's record away, one, two, one, it was on the sky. And I remember sitting there after the game and like people were talking to us and nothing registered. My family spoke was after the game. They were at the game. First time, like my dad comes to every single game, but like I think majority of my family were at the game, which was a weird one. Like they were never really together for the games. And I remember just sitting after the game, like what has just happened? And as a young kid going through your Twitter like that, like looking at every single <laughs> comment and that, it was, oh, it was amazing. Amazing, no feeling like Did you go to Newcastle that night? No, so we went, we went out for a family meal in Pontilum, which is close, and like straight away I was getting recognised and I'm like, this young 21-year-old kid, like, didn't know what was going on. I think I left it a few weeks before I went out because I think it was around the Christmas time and I think we had like, I think I ended up playing six games in the space of like three weeks. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a mad time. But yeah, it was going from this young kid that no one had really heard of to like going into the Metro Centre for a pair of trainers and like people asking for photos. It was it, it was an amazing time, but something that'll live with us forever. I need to speak to you about playing in the Newcastle Sunderland Derby as well, because I think that's probably one of like the the last sort of old school derbies in England, if you know what I mean. Definitely. Yeah, I think like? it, it was it was one of them. I think I had played against Chelsea, done really well. And I played against Tottenham in the cup and I had a terrible game. I had dropped across and I, I think we got beat 5-0 and I didn't do great. And I had getting a bad shoulder injury in the game. And there was talk of bringing in an emergency loan and this, that and the other. Um, and I remember going into the old firm game uh, sorry, I keep saying the old firm. I'm so used to it now that um, <laughs> Newcastle Sunderland Derby, it was, I was being sick after training. I was in that much pain, but I was like, I am playing in this game no matter what happens. Uh, I was getting injections into my arm just to try and like get rid of the pain. And uh, obviously I was nervous because I'd made a mistake the week before and it was kind of like on match of the day. Everything, it was so blown up and I'm like, oh my God. And I went into the game and... To be fair, I had like a very, very good game, but we ended up getting beat 1-0. And there's a picture of me like down holding my head like this because I was a Newcastle fan, do you know what I mean? It was, although I was playing for them, it was kind of like, we've just lost to Sunderland there. Even when I watch the games now, Newcastle, Sunderland, even when I watch Rangers, Celtic, I'm sitting there nervous, like, come on, Newcastle, come on, Rangers. It's like a nervousness, like, so playing in it, it was just like the atmosphere, everything... Because I was just a young kid, I hadn't played any men's football, and no, I'd done I'd done really well in the game, but we we got beat one 0 to a last minute Adam Johnson winner, and it just broke broke my heart. But then I walked off. I was like, I've done well, so like it was kind of like a, a bad thing that I'd lost, but a good thing that I had kind of getting that credit back. I had 
good game, really bad game, and another good one. So, so yeah. But to be from Newcastle and playing one of them games, it's it's what you dream of. So after playing the games like that, how did you end up leaving Newcastle? How did that come about? It was a really strange one because Pardew actually got sacked during my time in the team. We were going through a real tough spell. I remember we were playing, I think we're back four was Perch was playing centre-half, who was centre-mid. I think Jack Colback was playing left-back and we, we were really struggling. We played Man U, Tottenham, Chelsea, um, Arsenal and got battered by all of them and Pardew got sacked. And then I remember it was sort of, I played... I think it was Burnley at home and I had I was struggling with a shoulder all the way through um, and then Tim came back and sort of it was sort of Tim was straight back in um, and John Carver had taken over as manager and there was no real conversations of contracts or nothing like that and I thought it was a bit strange because I have a young kid came to the team done well had a couple of bad games um, I thought I was going to be offered a contract and then sent straight out on loan. It wasn't. Um, so I went on out on loan to, to Bradford because I think John Carver had kind of made it known. Uh, obviously, Andy Wooden was a goalkeeping coach. Dad made it known that Tim was playing and Freddie Woodman was on the bench, which at the time I was like, what, what's going on here? I didn't understand. Um, and then I went, Bradford rang and said, you're going to come in and play. Um, and I ended up going in. I played one game and then broke my wrist. Um, and I remember I went back to Newcastle for my treatment to, to get fit. And then that summer, I heard absolutely nothing, contract ran out. And I was just sat there like, I've got no club. And that, that, that was it. It was such a strange time. I understand that Newcastle was in a massive transition of obviously trying to get a new manager in, kind of, I was out of contract, this young kid, and kind of that's the way I ended up going. I think they were trying to pay like pathway for Freddie Woodman to sort of come through, which which is fair enough that it, it happens in football. But as a young kid, I didn't understand it. Now looking back, I understand it. Um, and football is a ruthless business, and and that's the way it ended up going. Especially like, at that time, you were a younger player, like you said. Do you think there's got to be like? a bit more a, a sort of duty of care to players? Yeah, I think I think Newcastle learned a lot from it because they've never put themselves in that situation again and sort of Freddie Woodman has done unbelievable off the back of me because all of a sudden he went out on loan to, I'm going to say, six different clubs, probably played two, 300 league games to set him up to now play at Newcastle. Um, whereas me, it was kind of, I'm third choice, wasn't allowed to go out on loan in case something like that happened. So I think I think the loans are brilliant for, for especially goalkeepers. I think strikers, you stick them on for a couple of games, they're probably going to score just how enthusiastic they are and then all of a sudden the next best thing. And kind of, strikers can't really have a bad game. I know they can, but it's if they make a mistake, it doesn't really matter. Whereas a goalkeeper, you make one mistake, it's a goal and... You're the worst goalkeeper anyone's ever seen. So it was, I think a lot of teams can learn like the goalkeeping side of thing. I think goalkeepers have to go and play. Um, you can get a goalkeeper that'll step in and do brilliant for one game, but sort of five, six games, you'll start to find that the form will go up, down, up, down. So yeah, I think, I think as young goalkeepers, whatever level men's football, they need to go out and play because there's some guys who play 
Scottish Championship, League One, English League Two conference, and below that, they're relying on a win bonus to pay their mortgages and to to pay for food and stuff like that, and to get into that environment of like, I need to win here, and it gets your mistakes out of the way early, and kind of you make the mistakes in the conference, and no one even knows about it. Um, whereas you, you're making mistakes in the Premier League, and it's on Match of the Day, it's on Sky Sports News, and. I think obviously getting lads out on loan is is a massive thing for goalkeepers. See, when you ended up at Port Vale, did you feel as if it was almost like a fresh start for you a wee bit? Definitely, it was. And even that was a crazy time. I left Newcastle, didn't have a club. No clubs were talking about me. We got in touch with every, nearly every football league club and sort of League Two were looking going, we want someone that's played 300 games. And I'm like... They were taking like Brian Jensen, who was like 39 year old, who don't get it wrong, was brilliant in his day, but was kind of done. And they were saying, Yeah, we're taking Brian Jensen instead of you. And I'm sitting there like, well, that's crazy. Um, so I was struggling for a club at the time. I was um my agent was saying, Listen, don't worry, we'll wait till the season starts, there'll be injuries, there'll be red cards, and you'll get yourself in somewhere. And I'm sitting there like, I'm not sure about this. And then just so happens, my best mate at the time, Remy Street, was at Port Vale. And they had played two or three pre-season games. The first choice was injured and the second and third choice were all right, but apparently were really poor in pre-season. He went and seen the manager and said, listen, my best mate's been released from Newcastle. What do you think? And he was like, really? He said, I thought he still had like two, three years left there. He said, yeah, we'll get him in. So I, I signed on the Friday, the day before the season and played on the Saturday. Um and yeah, Rob Page took a big gamble on us at the time, who's now obviously Wales manager. And he just uh, he said, Listen, just do what you do. He says, You're a young kid. He said, Just go out and enjoy it. And I remember I ended up playing 87 games and form of my career. And honestly, the, the, the first season there was kind of like unbeatable at times. And it was amazing for us just to restart my career. And, Someone, I can't remember who it said it was, they said, get to 100 league games as quickly as possible. And I ended up playing 87 at Port Vale. And I, straight away, I came off the back of that. I was like, well, I've, I've kind of done that. Um, and it set us up for, for big things to come. Did you feel yourself getting better and better every week? Because you were playing consistently, obviously. Uh, it, was, it was just a pure confidence. Um, you get fans talking of like, He's got to be player of the year. He's got to be this. He's got to be that. I was 21, 22 at the time. And it's just this confidence of your role in the games, just knowing how good you are. And like, when you're confident, it's like, go on, shoot from there. I'm saving it. Don't worry about that. Like, and when a goal goes in, you're like, no, there was a time where I made a mistake and I went and got the ball through back. And I was like, I don't care. Like, it, was, it was weird. Um, yet there's times where you're low on confidence, where you're like, you want to get to a game where you're like, oh, don't shoot from there. Oh, please don't cross that. Like, and you go into a game going, oh, it's, that sun's a bit low, it's raining. It's like, whereas now you turn up and it's windy and you're like, who cares? Like, um, so yeah, it was just a pure confidence thing. Um, and the manager absolutely loved me there and wanted to take, he wanted to go on to big things. I wanted to go on to big things and, yeah, he just, he'd done amazing for me at the time and it was a brilliant time for me. Then Rangers come calling. Hi. How, how did that come about? How did you first hear about that interest? Because that's a big a big step up, obviously, if you put Vale. Yeah. 
No, no, it was. I, I heard about it quite early on in the January window. My agent rang me and he said, listen, Rangers are looking at you. He says they're really keen. Um, Matt Jilks uh, isn't happy up there. He's wanting to go and play. He had had his opportunities and done well and got taken out of the team and something had happened. And I played a couple more games. Paul Ville done really well. And then I played Huddersfield in the Cup. Um, I think it was sort of three weeks before the end of the window. So it'll have been sort of first week of January. And I'd done my ankle ligaments in the game. And I was like, oh no, like the Rangers move's going to be gone. Um, and I ended up getting myself back in two weeks. Um, physio was saying six weeks. I was like, nah, two will be fine and that. And I remember I played, um, we played Oldham away, I think it was, and my ankles about that big. And I was strapped it up, got through the game. Uh, one of the biggest worldies I had in Rangers, I think it was Frank McParlin, was at the game that time. And he rang my agent and just went, we're signing him. Um, my agent was like, right, okay. Um, and then I played against Scunthorpe the day before the window closed. Um, and then got through that game and sort of, I was sitting about because I had a buyout clause in my contract. But my, my agent, you're not allowed to tell other teams that you've got a buyout clause because obviously it's for, for Paul Vale. They wanted Rangers to come and bid a million pounds at the time. Um, so they had bids off the top of my head. I think it was like 125 grand plus 125 grand worth of add-ons. And we knew I had a 250 buyout at the time. And they, they kind of said to my agent, what do you think will get them out? And my agent basically said, listen, I think... Maybe if you offer instead of doing installments up front, you'll you'll kind of get them. Um, so they done that, and then all of a sudden triggered the buyout clause, and I was on the train up the to Rangers for my medical. Obviously, knew how big it was, but not as big as what I thought. I got that I was like, wow, what is going on here? Those cameras outside outside the training ground. I was like, what is this? Obviously, I've been at Newcastle, and I kind of understood it a little bit, but then. Once you're actually in the city and you're literally getting your post through and the postman's like, you're all right, like enjoying it. And it was it was unbelievable at the time and didn't realise how big it was till I actually got up here. Um but yeah, it was crazy time, but what a massive club man. Then in England, nobody directly, nobody realizes just how big it is, do they? It was, I, because obviously growing up in Newcastle, I was like, Newcastle, son, and that doesn't get beat. Like, everyone's talking about Rangers, Celtic, and I'm like, I've been old, firm, I've been old, I've seen old firm on the TV. Wait till you go to Newcastle, Sunderland, and like, you'd be going on the bus and you'd be getting bricks through your window. And I'm like, Newcastle, Sunderland can't get beaten. And I remember my first old firm, I was like, I'm completely wrong here. I was like, this is like life and death. It's like, it's through generations and you've got young girls who are eight, nine-year-olds sticking their fingers up at your bus and I'm like, what is going on here, man? It was, honestly, I was, I was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, um, but you have to learn pretty quickly up here. That's one thing I found out. It's a proper goldfish bone, like everything scrutinised there. Oh, massively, because I even remember signing for Rangers and... There was um, a girl, Alice, at the time, she was kind of the, done the press and stuff, and she was like, right, you don't say this, you don't say that, you don't say... If you're asked about Celtic, you don't say that. Um, obviously, you go on the training ground, nothing's green, apart from the pictures, that's the only thing that I said was green. You meet Jimmy Bell, who's the first guy in the building, 
walked in my first day, stood there like that. Like, don't look like a goalkeeper to me. And I, <laughs> I went, well, hopefully I play like one. And like he's like talking us through like Stefan Klaus, like the, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, and it, Jimmy was brilliant. He was like, he's a tough nut to crack, but once you get to know him, what a guy, what a s- stories about Gaza. And it was just unbelievable. But yeah, we, um, it was such a strange time because obviously Warburton signed me, didn't he? Um, and then I think it was two weeks later, it was kind of, he's been sacked, he's resigned, whatever it was at the time, we didn't know what was going on. And I was like, God, Warburton's told me I'm coming into play and kind of it's between me and Wes, but like he sees me as playing and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, within two weeks, gone. Madness, eh? Aye, uh, so crazy. I can't get you on and no ask about uh, that progress game. We can on the hedge and that. Talk me through that for your perspective. I so I obviously hadn't been there long and we are getting into Europe and it was a it was a weird time. Murty had taken over his interim at, at a point and then obviously Kashinia got the job. Um and yeah, it was it was difficult for me because I thought I should have been playing at the time and then we went to progress and obviously we played them at home and I was like, yeah, it's, it's all right, we'll beat them away. Like they were saying they were firefighters or this, and I'm thinking, looking at our team, thinking we've got lads who are like top, top draw here. Um, and yeah, it just went into that game and it was kind of like, it had an eerie feeling about it. And all of a sudden, like, we had getting beat, but I was like, we haven't been knocked out of them. Um, and then I remember we were just all sat in the change room after the game, like, lads, heads down, like, you could hear the fans outside, like, wanting to get into the changing room, like, lads' numbers had been passed out to Rangers fans, like, lads, like, I remember Martin Wagcorn at the time, he had to change his number on that because, like, getting, like, proper, like, abuse, like, abused and that. And then we didn't know anything about the Cashini in the hedge and all that. Um, Shouldn't they laugh, man, but I just can't, I can't get it in my head. I know, it, it wasn't until, like, we got back home, we flew back to Glasgow, there was all the security saying, listen, we're going to have to take you through this way, there's fans waiting for years. And, and it was a real eye-opener for me because I obviously knew how big the club was, but, like, I thought, well, it's the first time we've been back into Europe, like... Did they really expect us to get out into the groups? And I, then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow!" They expected us to win Europa League. Never mind get out into the group stages. And it was, it was one. And yeah, the whole hedge situation. And to be honest, Kashinia, like I know he was made sort of like a scapegoat, and everyone had their laugh about him. He meant so well. Um, he honestly had the club at heart. And I think I spoke to his goalkeeping coach at the time, who he took everywhere, and he said, "I think." He got kind of too torn up in Rangers through and through and kind of went a bit too intense with it. Um, but honestly, the bloke, what what a nice guy. Obviously, he was lunatic, but what a good heart and proper family man, like lovely guy. But just like it kind of he came at a really tough time. Um, but honestly, he had he had the club's best interest at heart. There was times he slept at the training ground, like after games and stuff like that, I'd go back to the training ground, do his analysis on his computer, he'd sleep there, wake up the next morning. He loved it, but it just didn't work out for him. And, and I don't think people seen that side of it. I think they just seen the hedge situation, like the Kenny Miller situation, all this mental stuff that went on. 
but didn't see the, the other side of him, which was a really nice bloke. See, when you say lunatic, give me an example of something where you've just been, what is he doing? So the, 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 the one that stood out for me, like, it didn't stand out, but I remember we'd done a team meeting about how we were going to play and this, that and the other. Um, we, we sort of done with team, he'd done his team talk and named the team, this, that and the other. This was the day before a game and Joe Garner was sat there and he said, listen, he said, if anyone doesn't understand, put the hand up. And Joe Garner was like, Gaffer, like, I just want to know what we're doing from goal kicks. Are we like kicking on to me? And he was like, Joe, you don't understand? You don't want to play tomorrow? Like that. And he hammered Joe Garner and he was like, Joe's like, I only asked if like, we're kicking from goal kicks and out the team, no problem like that. And he went mental at him. And oh, there was there was so many stories. I remember we played Aberdeen away, and this this was the best one, obviously, in the hotel the night before. Let us let us underneath the door, opened it. This big long like we are going to war, boys. This is our time. This is this. Honestly, it was a page about that big individual. Like this is your role. We are not. We're not footballers. We're gladiators. And this, and I'm sitting there reading it like. Good one, mate. Like that, like I was like, "What is going on here?" And then the meeting before the game. Do you know the the movie Three Hundred, where they're walking, they're going, creeping across a hill and looking into the Colosseum? Aye, mate. He's got the Colosseum as the Aberdeen Stadium, and it's them crawling oh, really? with the Rangers badge on, like that, looking over onto the thing. <laughs> and we were sat there like. And he's like, this is war, boys. This this is no football match. This is war. And like boys are like sitting there nudging each other, like laughing and stuff like that. But like I get like I get where he's coming from. He's trying to make it like a big, big deal. But some of the things, the way he put it across was just like obviously English and Scottish boys, you know what we're like, like, but he oh, there was so many different things with him and the goalkeeping coach, man. It was just like but yeah, as I say, he did. He did love football. He loved Rangers, but just some stuff. Probably that was brilliant over when he was in Mexico and that. Like boys over there were probably loving it. That us boys over here, we thought it was banter. So what I want to ask you about, um, we touched on a wee bit playing in the old firm. Aye, obviously it wasn't a good result, but talk me through the build up of that. Aye, so I think. My time when I got in, Wes had a shoulder injury for a long time and he kind of had a fallout with the club because I think he there was a few bids turned down from this, that and the other. Um, and it got the split. And if I remember rightly at the split, I think we needed to win every single game after the split and Celtic would have needed to have lost every single game to win the league. But I still had Ranger fans saying to me, listen, helicopter Sunday, like this is going to happen in that. And like obviously I'm sat there with the team. It's a bit like we had a decent team, but their team, like, they were a joke. Like the way Rogers had them playing and stuff like that. And then I remember got on the team, played a couple of games, and then went into the old firm. Um, and I remember walking out for the warm-up and the atmosphere for the warm-up was bigger than I'd ever seen in like a normal full game. Um, couldn't hear anything. The goalkeeping coach was like volume balls and shouting, and I'm like, didn't have a clue what he was saying. Um, and yeah, I remember playing in the game and it was five and I think it could have been about 15 that day. I think we had our awards night that night and like the lads were saying, listen, we've got to cancel this. And the only good thing that came from me, the fans were like, give all the awards to Jack Anik. He was unbelievable. He stopped it being the biggest score ever. So I was a bit like, 
you know, as, as a goalkeeper, like when scorelines get like that, you go try and take something from the game. So I made a lot of saves, kept were sort of like without bit. Obviously, it was an embarrassment, but it wasn't where you're going. Oh my god, we we'll beat ten 0 by Celtic. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a good personal one for me, even just the experience of old firm, just to kind of get the grips with playing in that sort of game. Obviously, I've been on on the bench for some and. It's not the same like being on the bench for them. You see what it's like, but once you're in that atmosphere, you're scared to even like hit one bad goal kick and stuff like that. So it was brilliant for me and it, it, it gives us an experience. But then obviously in the change room afterwards, it was just like, I've, I've never been, I've been in a, a change room where I've been relegated before and that was lower than being relegated. It was, it was mad. But yeah, I think it set me up, set me up personally for knowing that I could play in them big games. How did it compare to Newcastle Sunderland, both in like the build up and the atmosphere? Newcastle Sunderland, even though I'm from Newcastle, didn't even come near it. Really? Honestly, it was like even down to we stayed in Mar Hall the night before, even though it was only just Celtic, the police escort, the the whole build up had to be in early just so there there wasn't as many of their fans there. Um the nervousness around the place, even like even in the training ground, people who weren't involved, like I'm talking like masseuses, cleaners, like the lot, like you could feel the tension of the week before. And it was just a total different, like kettle of fish. What, like Newcastle Sunderland is big, don't get us wrong. But at the time, Newcastle Sunderland had changed because obviously the two boys had died in the, um, the plane crash, MH, something where got shot down and Sunderland donated money to their families. So that kind of, it didn't stop the divide, but it kind of became more of a like lighthearted thing. And obviously the Newcastle fans with Bradley Lowry had sent him a shirt and this, that and the other. So that kind of done a lot of things together. So I remember that kind of had died it down a little bit. And then obviously you come into the Rangers Celtic and it was just total, total, like I couldn't believe how, how big it was. It was the whole week leading up to it was mental. I want, I want to ask you about Gerard as well. What was he like to work under him at that point? Obviously, were you being English? Is that something that you were you a bit starstruck initially with him coming in? Definitely, he was. He was like the prime of who I used to watch when I was younger. It was kind of that sort of era of English players. Sort of you know, Gerard, Scores, Beckham's. That was like I had their shirts. Like I had a Beckham shirt, and they like when I was younger, and it was. When he when when he got announced, we were kind of like, wow, Stephen Gerrard's coming to this building. And the way he came in with obviously Mick Beale is like the biggest football brain you've ever met in your life. Like I remember early times of him being in, we went down to 10 men and like Gaffer would come in and say, Listen, Mick's gonna speak, listen to him for five minutes. And he's going, if we go into this area and we press this way, I know we're down to 10 men, we make it a six v four in our favor. And I was like, wow. But then Gerard had the, he's a manager. Do you know what I mean? He's like, a, what, like you're sitting in the canteen, he walks in and you're like nervous. Like he's a proper, like the persona, everything about him. He's Stephen Gerard and he's like a proper, proper manager. And that's why he's done so well because he's got so much respect and he's got that fear factor when he walks in the building. Like I better be on it here. And the standards that he drove, obviously Mick was putting on like, the sessions and kind of technical and tactical and a lot of that. And Gerard obviously knew a lot. He'd played at the highest level. He knew a lot of it. Don't get us wrong. He's 
he's brilliant when it comes to tactics as well, but he was the the face of like a big backroom staff who was brilliant at the time. But the standards that he drove when he came in straight away, it was like even body fats, like he was like Premier League levels this, everyone's got to be below this. The first day of the, the bleep test, he wanted everyone to be up to speed. Every day, I remember I give one ball away in training. Jack, come on. Like, and I was like, wow, this is like real, real stuff, this. And just the standards he drove through the place, walked into the training ground, listen, the place isn't lovely, a lot of history, but we need to modernise it up. I want you to be able to like go, wow, we've got this, we've got a sauna, we've got this, like everything. And just the standards around the whole place was was unbelievable. That he 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 single handedly made sure that it was brought in. And after that, you had a couple of loan moves. Then ended up at St. Mirren. What what was it about St. Mirren that attracted you there? It was it was a difficult one because I left Rangers and there was a lot that went on. I had been told that I was getting contracts, but it was based on Wes leaving. Um, Obviously, when Gerald first came in, he said, it's going to be you and Alan McGregor. Um, he says, Wes is going to be leaving. He says, I think you and Alan are going to fight it out brilliantly. And then, obviously, he had Mark Allen, who was above him at the time. Not above him, I can say above him, but you know what I mean? He was kind of... Yeah. He was in between him and sort of the chairman. Um, and he said, listen, Mark's speaking, he's going to get Wes out. And then it eventually turned out they couldn't get Wes out because... Don't know what the situation was. I think Wes was probably on good money and the teams that wanted them probably just didn't want to pay that sort of money. And just the logistics of football, that's how, how things work out. Um, and it happened two summers in a row. I'm thinking, right, Wes is going. I'm getting a new deal. I'm Rangers like, for the next five years. And then I remember um, the first year, Gerard had pulled us and said, listen, we can't get Wes out. Um, we're thinking of sending you out on loan. And I said, that's fine. I said, if you're going to be saying, like, you and Wes are going to swap being on the bench, and that I was like, it's not really for me. I'm I'm still young. I need to go out and play. So I was meant to go to Barnsley, um, and Rangers kind of didn't let the loan go through to the last minute because they wanted to get through in case... Obviously, Griggs, he had his injury history, and they wanted to make sure he got through to the start of the season all right. Um, so Barnsley pulled out because, well, listen we need to get ourselves sorted early on this. And lo and behold, Bar Barnsley ended up getting promoted that season. But then Scunthorpe needed a goalkeeper late on. Their goalkeeper got injured. Um, so, yeah, I went out there and played for a year. We got relegated that season. But again, like, I seen that as like a... It was a bad thing because I had a lot of mates there who ended up like half of their money and being out of contract and being relegated. And I remember we played Plymouth on the last day and kind of on the bus up from Plymouth, the longest journey ever. I'd just been relegated, like lads sitting on the phones, no one spoke. And it was difficult, but obviously I was going back to Rangers at somewhere and I was like, I'm going to use that as like a... Because I was still a young lad going there and I kind of done my performance, but there was so many things I would have changed when I was there. There was, I think, if I look back, I think we probably conceded 15 deflected goals where I'm just stood there like... And I knew why it was. It was because we were so deep and like... At the time, as a like youngish lad, I didn't want to like upset the thing and say, "Listen, like go in and see someone and say we need to do this, we need to do that." Because go, who's this kid? Like, do you know what I mean? You had lads who had played five hundred like five hundred games in the league, and and then I kind of thought, right, from now on, like that's a wake up call for me. Like, 
I've been on loan, so it's not as bad for me because I'm going back to Rangers. It's fine for me. Um, obviously, you don't like a relegation on your CV, but I was like, that's never happening again. I'm like, wherever I go, if people don't like me, I'm stamping my authority and I'm get out of my box sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, obviously went back to Ranger that summer. It was the same conversation. Listen, we're getting wears out. Don't worry about it. You're going to be, you're going to be number two again. And it just didn't happen. Wes kind of was in a situation where I think he wanted to leave. And th this happens in football so much where obviously they probably wanted him to leave. He probably wanted to leave. But sometimes it's just that the right thing's not there for both parts. Obviously, Rangers all wanted money, maybe too much. But then if they got too much, Wes wouldn't have gotten the same wages. And, and that's how it ended up. So I remember, yeah, just... Um, Wes came in to me and he was obviously trying to get away at the time because he wanted to go out and play he hadn't played for sort of a year whatever it was and he was like you and I was like what so like, you're getting out before me and I was like what are you talking about like, Blackpool and I was like what are you talking about and he was like uh, and then that was it my agent had rang me he said oh mate you're going to Blackpool on loan I was like alright what happened to that contract and he was like don't know he said basically they're saying they're going to send you out on loan and then we'll sort things after that. And I was like, right, fair enough. I said, listen, it looks like kind of that's my time. Um, I had a year left on my deal and they were sending us out on loan for a year. Um, and yeah, so I was like, listen, Blackpool's a massive club. We're down in League One. I had just been taken over by a fan, a guy who was a fan who was multi, multi-millionaire. And I was like, this is a great time to go. And went then enjoyed every second of it. Played up until the December um, under Simon Grayson I tore my bicep on Boxing Day Grayson ended up getting the sack I think two weeks later but he had already I'd already done my contract everything was done because uh, I was signing a pre-contract from for Blackpool because obviously it's cross-border um, and he got sacked and then well, basically we were just waiting for the solicitors to kind of push it through and all that and then he sort of got sacked. I was injured. They brought in Chris Maxwell uh, just for a six month, just till the end of the season. And then sort of new manager came in and kind of said, listen, things are changing here a little bit. Like, I want to have a look at everyone. Didn't hear anything. And then COVID hit. Next thing I know, I was ringing the chief exec at Blackpool, like, what's going on here? And he was like, oh, like, I thought we had made it known you weren't staying. And I was like, no, what's happening with that contract? And it just ended up that they, they wanted to go with Chris Maxwell. Obviously, I'd had a bit of a bad injury and stuff like that, which was which was fine. Um, and then going into COVID, sat there in my house in May and just thinking, I haven't got a club again here. And obviously, I had a lot of interest, but obviously a lot of clubs were saying, listen, we don't know what's happening. We don't know when we're going to be back in. We don't know whether we're going to have fans. We don't know what we can do, basically. Um, but then I remember Jim Goodwin, he, Lee Hodson was, Lee Hodson's my best mate. And he, um, he was at Simone the, that season. So obviously the season before, but obviously COVID stopped it. And he had, he had spoke to the gaffer about me quite a lot. And he, he was like, yeah, definitely bring me in, but I don't think you'll come here, this, that and the other. And, uh, I remember just one day, Hod's text was saying, oh, uh, Jim Goodwin's going to give you a call. And I said, oh, fair enough. Didn't think anything of it. He rang me, rang me and just said, listen, um, there's a lot going on at the minute. We want to stick a two-year deal on the table. Um, we're not going to mess about. We're going to give you 
like what 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 do you want? We know you will can't pay like re, re, like the Rangers wages, whatever. Like we're going to give you this. We're not going to go to and fro and where like you say this. We this is what we can do. Uh, I want you to come in and play for two years. He says you're going to play every single game, no matter what. If you're fit, you're going to play. I want you to come in, and he says I want you to get me a move, and I want you to get yourself a move. And that, that, that's how it was. And we always had that understanding of, like, we both obviously came to St Mirren and we were saying the better that we do is the better for the club and it's a better for, better for ourselves. So it worked hand in hand with everything. Um, and honestly, I've, I've been, I, I just wanted to come up here, come back to St Mirren to prove to a lot of people, wow, he can actually play Scottish football because at Rangers, I don't feel like I actually got that long period of a chance for people to go, wow, he's actually a top goalkeeper. And that's how Goodwin sells it a lot. I've seen him say before, like, he doesn't want somebody, well, at the time, go to St Mirren, want to play there for five, ten years. He wants somebody to stay for maybe a year or two and then get the club money, get them sell a good move. That's probably the best way to sell. Like, probably most clubs in Scotland, really. Aye. I think if you take away probably the top sort of four clubs, sort of Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, Hearts and Hibs. I think you've got to kind of go that way because the clubs need to make a profit. The clubs need they need players to go and do well and otherwise you're just going to get players that you're paying money for who's going to do all right for two years, see you later, another two. And they're never making the money off players. So I think the way he, saw, he said, listen, we're newly promoted. We've just avoided getting relegated. He says, we're going for top six. He says, there's no two ways about it. He said, I want, he said, I want one semi-final, I want two, I want a top six. And the way he sold the club and just the, just the man himself speaking to him and how adamant he was that he wanted you. And he wasn't, as you say, he's not like, oh, you're going to come to St. Mirren for 10 years and kind of be a club legend and you're going to do this and that because he knows that he wants players to do well, move on to big things. He wants to do that himself, obviously, as we've seen and I think for, for a lot of the, not smaller Scottish clubs, because it's harsh, but like I'd sort, sort of say bottom six clubs, I think that's kind of a perfect way of doing. I thought the gaffer was the biggest part of me going because I could have probably sat around during COVID and I'd have probably gotten a, a decent sort of move, sort of lead one in England, maybe even a championship as a number two at the time. And just the way he sold the club to me, and the first day I met him, everything about him, everything about the club, just how family oriented it is, but with the drive as well of listen, I want to go here with this club. Um, really sold us on it. And I think every single player's interview that you probably see that's that came to our club during that period said Jim Goodwin was the one that kind of brought me here. And it was kind of everything that he had to say was why I came here. And we've said it earlier, mate, we've arranged this for the worst possible time he's left about two or three days ago. But just how, how good is he, like, every day on the training park? And stuff, even, like, team talks and that as well, because he seems like he's quite a fiery character as well. Uh, he's, got, he's got both sides, some, but he's also, like, great family man. He's, he's, one, he's one of them gaffers that he's, he's kind of your best mate, but you don't cross him. Um, he training every day, loved it. I mean, I think as well, he he came out and he said, obviously, he was at Alloa, he was driving a van for Cadbury's at the time, and kind of he had been a player himself. You've seen him as a player. I mean, 
how many times he got sent off and everybody he's one, he's one of them players that everybody hated um but no what a manager man he just i mean technically tactically forget all that just like really drives the team and kind of you can hear him on the sideline driving like shouting fresh like just really really motivator um but training day in day out was enjoyable but it was hard and to be honest he's he's one of the only managers that i've had where even lads out the team i've never really heard anyone say anything bad about him and that shows like a real good manager because He's been there as a player himself. And he used to say, I've been here as a player where I'm not playing. I've got to go down on like a Monday after I've not played. The other lads are doing a recovery, getting a nice little massage and all that. And he says, you're down there, it's snowing, there's five years. And like, he understood it. So it was all, and as well, days off, your days off or your days off. You, you play on a Saturday. If he had organised Sunday, Monday off, if you got beat, don't care. Sunday, Monday off, enjoy lads, go and have a pint get your heads back on a Tuesday, we're back in working. Or even if, kind of, listen, we're in on Sunday. Even if you won 3-0, we're in on Sunday, do you know what I mean? So every part of what he'd done was brilliant. And I think he drove the standards through the club because obviously they were saying top six and top six. And, and he kind of made sure that was installed in every single player that listened late and would believe that we, we could get it. And we ended up just getting pipped on it. But realistically, when you look at probably his budgets last season, everything to do with it, we should have been nowhere near the top six. And to miss out on the last day for us was like, it was a, it was a sick and I don't get us wrong, but we were like, wow, we're disappointed at getting somewhere that we should never even have probably been close to. Um, so now the, the, the standards that he was, he was driving and the type of bloke that he is, he was brilliant for the football club. And I said this to you the other day um, about Jamie Langfield. I think he deserves big credit for stepping up over the weekend there. Just, I think as well, he's done such a good job with obviously yourself and Gladke as well before you. What about him? What, what is it about him that's so good in coaching? I'm not going to talk him up that, that well, man. <laughs> every day, man, every interview, he's, I'm like, I've, I've talked you up again. No, honestly, he is... I don't want to disrespect anyone because obviously I've worked with Colin Stewart, but Colin Stewart had just came in. But he's definitely, I think he's the best in Scotland and he's one of the best I've ever worked with. Just not even like, I'm not even going to say that as like goalkeeping coach because there's a lot of goalkeeping coaches out there that are like, that are amazing. But it's just more as a, as a person. So he had just finished playing. He had had a long career. He had his massive ups where he was Scotland squads. European and he had his massive downs where like he was hated by certain clubs like where he even said to me he said wow he said some of the games I had he says like I was so bad and just someone who understands that sort of like sort of goalkeeping situation that's just finished playing and he I've made mistakes in the game and he was like alright mate see you Monday like not bothered whatsoever and like I'll have the biggest worldie high five well done mate see you Monday like and he doesn't get too up, too down, nothing like that. But his his impact on the goalkeeping situation is, I think the group that he gets together is massive because even Dean Linus, when he stepped in, has been unbelievable in training. Dean Linus is, un, like even today, Dean Linus, small side games, doesn't concede a goal. Unbelievable, right? And like Peter Minsky's gone out and known to Stenhouse Muir, flying, played three, not lost, man of the match in one, saved a pen in the other. Um, Vaclav obviously came over from the unknown no one had heard of him 
turned him into probably one of the best goalkeepers in Scotland at the time. Um, yeah, so he, he he just he knows you as a person more than as a goalkeeper, and he puts on sessions. Per some days, like I'll walk in the morning, he's like, "You're tired, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Hi, he's like, no bother, two touching, bit of fun the day." And I'm like, "Buzzing." Like, do you know what I mean? And like, then there's some days where he's like, right, mate, we're working hard the days. Like, just get your head around it. And I was like, oh, no bother. And you actually love working hard on run because he puts so much into everything and people don't see the stuff he does behind the scenes. It's not just the goalkeepers. I'm not kidding. So COVID situation, he's doing like, you've got two buses that you've got to space out everyone. He does that. He was doing the team lineups. He was doing set plays. He was doing... Snow days, he was down helping the groundsman. Like, honestly, everything at that club, he, he was kit man. The kit man was off for a week, like 10 days of COVID. He was kit man. Like, honestly, he is like behind that club, he does so much. And obviously, people don't know he still does the academy goalkeepers. He does so, he does us through the day, hangs about, does the young goalkeepers at five, six, seven o'clock, and gets home at nine o'clock at night. But honestly, what a top bloke! Like, as a bloke, everything good laugh, like in the physio room every day with me, like sitting having a coffee, game of darts, whatever it is, just like around the boys, second to none, honestly. And I think the goalkeeping side of things, I mean, a lot of goalkeeping coaches can put on a good session that, but I think him as a man and as as a man management is kind of what's kind of drove all the keepers that he's he sort of had have done it unbelievable. So yeah, he's Top bloke. I've, I've done enough picking him up now. He's, I was going to say, you've been way back he's to that. He's just going to retire now. That's what he's done now. So <laughs> he's, uh, he's going to watch this and he's going to be sending it on to everyone. And we said before we started recording, you met the new gaffer, Stephen Robinson, today. What was he saying to you? Or how, like from your insight, player's insight, what happens when a, when a new manager's first appointed? We, we all talk about this because this is the first time in anyone's career at St. Mirren. I think there was an odd one where a manager has left the club to go on to a bigger thing. Um, it's generally you get a manager after like someone being sacked because you're down the bottom of the league or whatever. So I've been through so many managers being sacked and, and whatnot. So it was such a strange thing of like, we're actually flying in a real good place. Like everything's high and your manager's gone, and then a new one's obviously coming in. So it's such a strange one because obviously the new gaffers came in today and training was lively. It was kind of like bouncing. And sometimes a fresh face, even when you're doing well, it is can be a really good thing. And I've got no doubt that like the gaffer gym would have, would, would have took us on to big things as well. But sometimes you never know. We could have lost our te- next two, three games under Jim Goodwin and all of a sudden... You're, you're down looking at the relegation again. and But the, the new gaffers came in and the enthusiasm today and kind of, he said to us straight away, listen, I don't want to, you've been on such a good run, I'm not going to be coming in saying, right, we're going to change this, we're going to change that. It's just kind of like, over time, he'll obviously put his own stamp on things, but at the minute, it's just about like him putting little tweaks into obviously what we're doing at the minute, which I think is brilliant. And I, I think it's a, a credit him. He's obviously a top, top manager. He's done brilliant up in Scotland. I know a lot about him just based off, obviously, we've got a, lad, a lot of lads that came from Motherwell and obviously playing against him. He's been successful up here massively. 
Um, and Matt Nadeh seems a great bloke. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's hopefully it's a good time under him. Um, we've obviously got a big game straight away tomorrow night for him to come into. But no, I think I think it's a real, real clever and a real brilliant appointment by the club. Um, sort of someone who's experienced up here and and a good guy as well. So yeah, hopefully we can hopefully we can kick on with him and kind of bring the success that obviously Jim Goodwin had obviously set the stall out and kind of and hopefully we can do just as well under under the new gaffer we'll no talk about the more because I don't want to get the blame off St Mirren fans for being the jinks that's a big <laughs> game for you is that so uh, this season so far how would you sum it up sorry uh, this season so far how would you sum it up I it's been it's been the biggest roller coaster se- season I've ever had was obviously we went from like flying to no wins in 11 or something we've drawn so many games and all of a sudden we came back from the winter break and we just went bang 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 won three games sort of like straight away won in the cup and stuff like that and then we've just kind of been flying since so we always said it we we went into the winter break not where we wanted to be we wanted to be like on a lot more points than we were but then all of a sudden we went bang straight away the wins in the bag and then all of a sudden, now we've put ourselves in the mix. Obviously, you see how tight it is, man. You lose one game and all of a sudden you can be down in ninth, tenth position. You win one game and you can go up in the fourth. It's it, it's going to be the tightest end of a season for fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, I, I think you'll ever see. And then all of a sudden, St. Johnson, who did look dead and buried at one point, all of a sudden beat Hearts at the weekend. It, honestly, this is probably... Going to be the most competitive season, I think, ever. Um, and then all of a sudden, Hearts, who looked as though third was sewn up, no one was catching them. All of a sudden, you look and think, well, they've lost a few on the bounce now. Like, so I think it's been a brilliant season so far. But it's you're two wins away from being absolutely flying, and then you're two wins away from looking over your shoulder. So it's such a on on a knife edge that we've went on a good run at a good time, but. You need to kind of progress it, but personally, for me, last season and this season, it's it's been unbelievable. And personally, I don't think, apart from maybe a couple of games, I could have done any better than what I've done. So, absolutely buzzing for me, and just trying to trying to kick on still. I think at the time of recording, I think there's like, is it maybe about fat like three points between about five teams? That's right. I absolutely <laughs> crazy, like, like you said. And even if St Johnston or Dundee go on a run, hopefully no starting them on. It just sucks other teams right back into it. Uh, it's on, honestly because I, I remember like sort of last season you were looking like Killy were done, sort of Hamilton were more or less done, and kind of the win you weren't going there going oh this is a free win, but you were going there thinking we should batter these like if you play properly you should batter them, and there weren't bad teams were just obviously like you felt like you could properly get after them and sort of like this year it is like you're looking at the fixtures and like you're looking and thinking, oh, well, St. Johnson's got this one. And then you're like, there's not one easy game in this league this year. And I, th- I honestly think it's the strongest the league's ever been. Obviously, Rangers won the title last year. Then now Celtic have jumped above them. And then all of a sudden Hearts coming back into the league. Aberdeen obviously haven't started how they want to do, but if they win their next game, they can go up into fifth. Hibs obviously 
under new management and stuff like that hasn't started brilliant, but win at the weekend. I think honestly, this league is is the strongest it's it's ever been. I don't see how it can get any stronger. But then also, suddenly you're looking down, going, "Our growth could come up." And Scottish football, it's crazy, isn't it? I know. And what would you say your best memories of your time at Madden so far? There's been, there's been so. I mean, obviously, two semi-finals were brilliant, but obviously, with no fans being there, it was such a sickener. Um, but I think the two semi-finals for us to even get into two semi-finals for the club was massive. Um, I don't know. I think it's such a tough one to put pinpoint one specific thing, but probably beating Celtic away. I think for the club last season. I mean, I know there was no fans there, but. We beat Celtic away at Parkhead, beat them 2-1. The club hadn't done it since whenever it was. Um, you're going there basically thinking, right, can we kind of not get beat 6-7-0 here? Take a, take, take a sort of 1-2-0. But at the time, obviously, they were struggling a little bit. Um, and we actually went into that game like, we could get something here. And it was weird, like, all the boys were talking, like, we're going to get something here. And, like, there was, like, a proper belief of it. And then... I remember we, we I think we went 1-0 up and then they went back to 1-1. I was thinking, oh, here we go. Is this like a, they're going into the next game? And then we scored one of the best goals ever. I pinged it out the fullback. He one-touched it inside, one touch, one touch down the line, cut back goal. And I was like, wow, we're an actual that goal. Team. Um, and I, I think that was like, because realistically, we should get nowhere near Celtic Rangers. Like, I mean, I know it's on the day, like it's a cup final for us and you see in the cup what can happen and stuff like that. But realistically, you look at like the types of players that they've got international superstars and you should get nowhere near them. So to beat a team of Celtics like Calibre and the players that they, they had in their team and stuff like that, I think that for the club was like, and for me personally, obviously coming from Rangers just recently, had a really good game, made a big save at the end, was like, it was that extra edge on it. So probably personally, that Celtic game was, for me, was the biggest high of high of the club. There's a video of you and it goes about after making probably that save. Did you see that? You know the one I'm on about? Uh, I know which one you're on. I know. I, <laughs> honestly, right, I look back at it, right, and I was like, it's one of them moments in the time where you're like, you're so pumped up and then you watch back like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> like, honestly, it's like, you see Alan McGregor every week and he's... He's a lunatic on the football pitch, honestly, screaming at refs. And to be honest, I'm exactly the same. If you come across anyone that's played against me and they say, oh, what's he like? And they'll go, oh, my God. But, like, it's just you get so built up in the moment. It is, like, it's an anger, it's a joy, it's everything that, like, you just do the most mental stuff. Honestly, it's, it's just what... It was one of them moments and I watched it back and I was just like, fair enough, you made a decent save, but, like... No need for that, but it was. I think it was just more like a relief because we had one, two, one. It was nothing to do with the fact that it was because I was Rangers and they were Celtic, and obviously because the Rangers fans seen it, they were buzzing. Because, but it was just because we wanted to win that game. We had literally grinded out, like hanging on to the death. I made a save in the ninety-second minute, and to be honest, if it was against Ross County, I'd have probably done the same. But there's so many clips I look back on myself and like, what were you doing there, man? It's just. I just get I just get so built up in the game and it's just as everyone says, goalkeepers they're a different breed. If it's all right with you, mate, we'll finish off on the quick fire questions. Nice one. So your best mate in football. 
Lee Hodgson. The best stadium you've played in? Stadium. Emirates. The best player you've played against? One in Scotland, one in England. Uh, oh, England. I'm going to have to go Eden Hazard in England. That's a good shot. Um, and then Scotland. I'm going to go Joe Hart just because of his career. I'm going to have to. Your biggest achievement in football? Playing Premier League. The biggest mourner that you've played with? Biggest what? The biggest mourner. Alan McGregor, easy. And this one, this might get you a wee bit. The best five-a-side team of players you've played with and why? Right. Am I in this team or am I being a goalkeeper? If you can put yourself in if you want. Right. Centre-half, Colocini, the best centre-half ever. Honestly, training, literally, Cruyff turns on his own goal line. Could have played for Barcelona, trust me. He could have played. When Barcelona were like the same Mascheron and that was like Colocini all day. Um, so he is 100% in that. Um, Hatton Ben Arthur has to go in there. He's what a player, honestly. He is, again, he could have went on to the biggest. He was just obviously a madman at the time, but he, honestly, he was amazing. Um, played with... I'm going to go out the back again, and I'm going to go alongside Colicini Tav, just because he's... Just, you look at the goals he's scored, everything he's done, what he's achieved, where he's came from, and he's a good mate of mine, so... I think him as well, and me and him, we get on to each other quite a lot as well. So I'll put put him in there. Um, who else we're going for here? We've stumped this here. This is a real, real. You need a striker. So if we're going main goal, Tav Colaccini. So I need a striker. This is going to be a real. There's three, there's three, obviously I've got to go from my Newcastle days because Newcastle at the time was, so you're between Papa Cissé, Denver Barn, like Remy, but for me, it has to be like Remy. I mean, Denver Barn, Papis were brilliant and scored some of the best goals, but like, I remember when he came in, sort of on loan from QBR at the time and... I remember he scored that goal from QPR where he's running on when he hits it with the instep and it comes back in. He'd done that every single day in training and he was an absolute joke. Everyone like, would talk about, about him being Henri and stuff like that and I was like, I could see him. He was, he was unbelievable, but there's so many players that I know that I, I've left out, like Johan Kabais, but I mean, what can I do? Yeah, it's a good team to be fair. Aye, so haven't been Arthur. Well, we'll go. Colic- I'm going to put myself in goal card. I'd love to play that team. Colicini, Tav, Hatton Ben Arthur, Lloyd Remy. Is that five? That's main goal. Hatton Ben Arthur. Yeah, five. So, yeah, I'd have to go with them. I've played with so many. And if I wasn't playing myself in goal, I'll give. I've got to give Alan McGregor a special mention. Not saying that he'd be. Flying about in five sides and stuff like that, like now. But what a career! What a man! What a legend! So I'd have to go with him just based off what he's done. If I wasn't playing goal, that's something. 
top man, Jack. Thanks a lot for coming on, mate. I appreciate it. No worries. Anytime, mate.